You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Berman. Berman's my team, Ed. In the NCAA brackets, Furman's my team. And I see that. You got Furman going all the way? I got, no, I don't. But I, I actually had Furman in my bracket because I only play one bracket league. And they get that ridiculous finish as one of the first games of the NCAA tournament. But I, they, I had already won because they're also the team that I have in this NCAA spread pool that I do every year where 68 people each get a team and then you get the points in the official spread. So I had Furman plus five and a half points that I could add on to their score. So if they would have lost to Virginia by like three points, I would have just taken over Virginia in the next round. And I start making money when I get into the Sweet 16. So they're my team. Furman. I'm riding them, baby. So you do, in a sense, have Furman going all the way, just maybe not as Furman. Right. They may. I may eventually get to take over. I, I can't remember who's in that bracket there, but I might get to take over Alabama, Alabama. at some point. Right. But, I mean, like, let's say that at some point they, I run up against Alabama and Alabama doesn't beat them by a ton and I get to take over Alabama, then I'm feeling good in this pool. Then I'm, then I'm making some money in it. Enough about basketball, though. Uh, let's get in the sacks in the basement. All brought to you by the proud sponsors of the podcast, for fans, by fans, Cork and Carry at the Park. This is where you want to be before, during, and after White Sox games, unless, of course, you have tickets into the ballpark. I saw the White Sox Tuesday specials, $5 for a beer. That's a special on a Tuesday. $5 for a Miller Lite. $5 for a hot dog. $5 for a nacho. And that is their special. So they're not bringing back the dollar dogs is what you're saying. No, no, no. $5 for basic items. $5 for a Coke, Ed. $5 for, for pop inside the stadium on Tuesdays is a deal compared to whatever the prices are going to be the other days of the week. Like they put out this promotion, like on, on, on Tuesdays, we're dropping these prices to $5 a piece. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, bring your own peanuts for crying out loud or go to cork and carry before the game. Right. That's the better play right there. Bring the kids over. There's tables inside and outside on a beautiful day. You know, get yourself like a craft beer for crying out loud on tap or something in their bar or whatever. Pay a better price for a premium item instead of going in there and hoping that they got a $5 Tuesday special. Holy cow. I mean, this is this is all coming from, I guarantee you, this is coming from the idea. You're going to see concession prices are going to have to be higher because how do you how do you make money when you shorten the game time? Like, who's going to miss two two innings standing in line? Who's going to trust that app after last year saying, I want it delivered to my seat, and then three innings later, you're starving and it hasn't shown up yet, or it shows up wrong? Like, who believes that that's going to work right? And if the game's moving and you're more into the game, you, you might as well enjoy yourself at the cork, and, you know, beforehand. Afterwards, when the parking lot's emptying out, you got out of the game earlier than you normally would. Head back over and celebrate a win. Okay, it's in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd in Princeton. But I think it's going to be a different experience at ball games this year just because of the way the game is moving quicker in spring training and will move quicker during the regular season. Well, it's going to be a lot like going to the movies, isn't it? I mean, who goes to the movies and is like, yeah, let me get the hot dog and the nachos and a couple of pops. And, and you know, I mean, no, you go and you get a snack, right? <laughs> oh, no, That's no. what concessions are going to be back to for baseball games is 
buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack, right? I, the song isn't buy me a pretzel wrapped brat and a helmet full of nachos. Like you're not going there for a meal anymore. You're going there. You're going to get a snack. You're maybe going to get a drink. And that's about all you're going to do because it's, it's it's two hours, man. You don't need for four hours to be sitting there going like, that's that's at least a good you know six pack of beer for me. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? They're going to have to make sure that they've got this thing down because I understand in spring training making mistakes and not being set in the box or knowing you have to look at the pitcher by a certain time or being ready as the pitcher. But if you're making a mistake in a game, I have no sympathy for you because you've gotten over a month to get used to it. And I don't think Pedro's going to have a uh, is going to have any sympathy for you either. I think if you go if you walk out of the box like I saw Elvis Andrews do like a week ago and start walking around talking to yourself and don't get back in and take strike three and and it's in a in any situation. I don't care if you're leading off the first inning and you do that. I have no sympathy for you. Learn the rule. This is what the rule is. But I'm I'm guessing he's telling them that right now because he's having another meeting. Yeah, every seven to ten days, Pedro's going to have a meeting. And this meeting is start taking it seriously, start bringing the intensity, start getting ready for the the season, right? And and I, I'm sure that's part of it too is making sure that they understand the rules and the tweaks to it, right? Because there there was a change, the Max Scherzer bit where Scherzer was staying set after a timeout after the batter used his one timeout, and Scherzer sitting there, he's staying set, letting the batter get set, and then quick pitching him. Basically, you can't come set until the batter's engaged. So now there's gamesmanships with the batters too. So I'm sure Pedro's sitting there looking at it going, okay, be aware of the clock. Pitchers, be ready to go, but make sure you understand what a quick pitch is. Hitters, don't screw around. Don't walk around. Don't cause yourself to take a strike call. And whatever you do, get engaged before you're supposed to be there. Don't be, don't, you cannot do the thing where you're holding back time and you're looking and you're tapping the bat and you're swinging it and you're getting your feet adjusted and all that stuff. That's over. And and we're done doing that now in spring training too. So yeah, I, I, you're right. Learn the rule. I know they're tweaking it. I know that there's players that have been complaining about some of the tweaks. I think it was Corbin Burns that ended up in a situation where he was getting called for a quick pitch when he's like, well, I don't understand why I'm, I'm set when I'm supposed to be set. He's not. Where's this problem? Yeah. I don't get that either, to be honest with you. Like if there's a time where the batter's supposed to be set and the batter's not set, isn't the pitcher trying to show the umpire he's supposed to be set? Right. But you got to figure this out in spring training. They figured it out in the minor leagues. Like that's the thing. They, they had the young kids in the minors do this and they had to figure it out. And they have the data that shows that after a certain amount of weeks, they saw very little problem. If you're still at the beginning of the season throwing your arms up on the mound in front of the the fans in the stadium or throwing your arms up at the plate in front of the fans looking for sympathy, you're not getting it from me. You might get it from somebody else. And, And trust me, you may hate this rule. I understand you may hate this rule. But back in the in the annals of baseball. And I saw this recently, and I don't know if I could bring it up on Twitter while we're sitting here at the bar, but I, I I saw this recently, so I'm going to search for it while I'm looking for it. There was, somebody put up, like, the rules of baseball and the idea that, like I think it was 1913, in the official rule book, it stated that you had to deliver the pitch in a timely manner within, like, 20 seconds. Like, there was always a clock. And, and, but the umpires, there just wasn't a digital clock behind the ump. It was the umpire himself making that call. I found it. Here it is. It's from Spalding's official baseball guide in 1913. 
Rule 33, Section 2. For everybody who's sitting there saying, timing these guys and getting them in there is not traditional baseball, and I'm angry, and I'm mad about it, and I'm shaking my fist at this entire thing, even though it, I think that a game that moves along and I'm more engaged in it may be fun to watch, right? But, but here we go. Rule 33, Section 2, in 1913, Spalding's official baseball guide. The umpire shall call a ball on the pitcher each time he delays the game by failing to deliver the ball to the baseman for a, or to the batsman. Sorry, it's faded. It's from like, like somebody took a picture of this thing and it's faded print from the batsman for a longer period than 20 seconds. 20 seconds. Well, sounds familiar. Excepting at the commitment of each inning or like the beginning of an inning or when a pitcher relieves another. But that's they, they actually have time limits on here. And and call a ball against the pitcher for failing to deliver. Yes, thank you. So, I mean, look, it's not what you're used to, but here's the problem. You, as baseball progressed, players started doing all kinds of little ticks and checking their gloves and walking around and becoming demonstrative. You had you had human rain delays out there they would call certain pitchers. Exactly. And 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 people would make fun of when Carlton Fisk used to catch a game. He was the human rain delay. That's the first time I ever heard of that. Carlton Fisk with Tony LaRusso as the manager in the 80s, the human rain delay because of how much time they would take doing things. And then the Yankees and the Red Sox in the 90s like really started extending games and then everybody started doing it. Everybody started. This is this is a relatively new thing. I can even remember as a kid games going quicker than they go now. Well, you knew. You just knew. When we were kids, you knew there were certain pitchers. Okay, so uh, Rick Sutcliffe, when he was with the Cubs, was one of those human rain delays. He would take a lot of time in between pitches. Or, like you said, Carlton Fisk. I mean, one of the slowest games I've ever been to was just Carlton Fisk having a hard time getting in and out of his crouch towards the end of his career. He'd stand up or turn the ball <laughs> back rough. to the mound. He'd take a while to get back down because he was an old man at that point. I mean, what are you going to do? Or watching Charlie Huff just try and get set and do anything at the end of his career. And, and Carlton Fisk, man, the only way they got rid of him is that they just surprised him in the middle of the season with a motorcycle and they gave it to him. And then he said, oh, thanks, guys. And they're like, now ride this off. You're done. And that was the <laughs> fastest thing he had done that year. <laughs> Sox fans looking for exterior windows, doors, patio doors, storm doors. Now's the time, okay? I mean, you're, you're looking at your house. You're, you're noticing that very soon you're going to be spending more time outside of the house and maybe time to actually fix the house up a little bit. No high-pressure sales at Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. They're not in your kitchen. They're not sitting in your living room. They don't have the feet up on the couch. They're not bringing in some dingy window that's been in four other places. They're in their superstore. You go see them. You don't have to flip through a catalog. Every type of glass is on display there. Every type of door, every type of window. The owner is on site there, and trust me, there's going to be an owner on site when the job is being put in by their staff. They're not hiring out. For 40 years, they've been doing it that way in Oak Forest since 1985. All major brands, they're going to custom make it. No stock items. You get a perfect fit. They're a half block east of 159th. In Ridgeland, I want you to stop in there and start your search for any of those windows or doors at 6280 159th Street. Learn more at windowdooroakforest.com. And joining us on the phone line right now from Camelback Ranch or right nearby it, 
He's out there every day. He's covering the team in spring training for the athletic. He's watching A games. He's watching B games. I'm curious as to what the difference is. I'm imagining a B game is a little bit more laid back. James Fegan on the line with us. How are you, James? I'm pretty good. Uh, like A game essentially like is in the stadium, you know, ticketed, you know, spring training, all that, you know, Cactus League and B game is like uh, on a backfield, which is where Lucas Giglio was thrown today. How do you look? He looked good. Like he he dominated. Like uh, you know, I think you know it was, it was a small collection of names that I even recognized in Dodgers lineup, like Andy Pages or uh, Michael Bush. Uh, he struck out Michael Bush a couple times, but he was throwing everything for strikes. Uh, he was his fastball was getting you know the sort of swings that he wanted in terms of speeding up guys uh, on top of the zone, which allowed his off speed stuff to play. Everything looked as good as you know it should. Someone asked me for like a velo afterwards on Twitter, and I said ninety three, ninety four, and they replied with yikes. And I was like, oh, it's about where he's been. Uh, I don't think it's a big panic thing, but you know, as far as just like executing what he needs to execute, uh, you know, it looks really solid. Um, it is a spring B game against a B team, but you know, it looks solid. Well, I'll admit to you that the reason I asked you to come on this episode is because I'm starting to get into that mode as a fan where now I'm looking at everything through rosy, excited glasses, right? Like, I'm trying to get ready for the season. I see Yasmani Grandal moving around real well. Yoan Mancata's playing with his countrymen and all of a sudden doing things for Cuba. And I'm like, ooh, maybe that carries over into the season. Everybody seems like they're healthy. Every report out of camp is that these pitchers are feeling it. And so I'm getting excited. You are very pragmatic, I believe, when you look at this team. You you don't you don't get too excited. You don't get to down on them. You report what you see, but I'm sure you have a feeling watching this team. Is there reason for optimism? What is your feeling at this point in spring training? Or can you even get a feeling at this point? Um, I mean, you wind up questioning what you feel because, like, last year, I didn't think like, they looked like there's – you know, looking back on it now, I probably wasn't brave enough to say at the time, there was a lot of like, yeah, we should be good talk without really like understanding what was behind it. And there's a lot of like, yeah, we're really talented. Uh, we'll see how if it works, but this isn't the most talented thing we've been on. It, it, it seemed a little presumptuous, uh, but you know, it's very hindsight. Um, this is a lot of like, everyone will tell you how pissed they were. And Pedro is obviously super motivated. This is kind of the job he's been preparing for for 20 years. He has a lot of plans and ambitions and ideas that he brought to the table kind of right away. Um, it's not someone trying to like recapture the magic or, you know, just kind of on coast or anything like that. So there's a lot of reasons to be encouraged. I will say like the athletic made us like submit like our season predictions and all that. And I, I picked them to win a division because, you know, some some of it's just taking a lot from last year. This is a team that was talented enough that should have won a division last year if they performed up to their standards. And, you know, I think they, they have a reasonable degree that they have a very similar group. You know, obviously not the Brady, which is a big missing piece, but, you know, I think if this group performs up to their standards, it's got the most talented division. So, that's, that's kind of what I'm going for. You talk about Pedro and what he's bringing in, and we keep hearing this every seven to ten days. He has a meeting. He sits there and tells them, okay, this is what I'm expecting from you. He's he's on them. He gives them goals. He tells them, at this point, I'm expecting this from you. Uh, he also seems to always be moving. You wrote an article earlier this week in The Athletic where it sounds like uh, he's almost antsy, like he wants to do more than what he's able to do. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it's like nervous energy. He's pretty composed. I think it's more like funny because he's so like serious in business that when you get him rolling about something that like he kind of hates, 
uh, there's almost a smile to it because he like he, he, you know, it's almost like a guilty pleasure that he's been taking. Like he, he knows he shouldn't talk about like how these things stink. He's usually a lot more even handed than that. But uh, when you when you get him going about something he truly thinks is a waste of time, <laughs> he kind of could be funny about how much he hates it. So it's, it's more of an amusing thing. But I, he he's of the mindset like he's not bouncing all over the place that he. What he's trying to do by, you know, giving all the credit to his staff or Eddie Rodriguez and Mike Tozar and, and all that is, is saying that he does get kind of get to be hands-on and doesn't feel like he's as strapped for time um, as, as you might think from someone who's kind of obsessed by having everything organized. So I, I, I don't think of him as kind of like a fishy guy who can't, like, doesn't know what to do with his hands and is trying to bounce everything all the time. It's, he, he seems a bit more even keel um, than, than that. One of the things we were talking about earlier in the show is uh, that when this season starts, I expect these guys to have this pitch clock and get in the box by so much time. I expect them to have this down because the rule isn't going away. And I know there are a lot of mistakes early on, but how disciplined are we right now as a team? Are are, are these guys uh, cutting down on the automatic ball and automatic strike? Because I would would expect Pedro wants that all gone by the time they hit opening day. I mean, I think everyone manager does. Uh, I don't think anyone wants to be just taking like uh, balls, uh, automatic balls, for the sake of uh, working your pace. But yeah, I think mostly, certainly, he's of the mindset that it's it's good. It's a more locked-in uh, form of play where there's less, uh, you know, dead time or guys focuses uh, reason and out. Even somebody who's a slower worker like uh, Giolito was at times uh, likes it. Like the adjustments that I see people doing with it are more like Kopech, who was rushing himself to the point where he's like firing pitches with 12 seconds left, um, than somebody committing violations. I don't think we really see more than one or two violations uh, per game, and I would I think that's you know both sides combined. I don't see the White Sox being serial violators of that, but there's there's a little bit of stuff to watch. You know the the point that Ethan raised was he's worried that. You know, if you get into a long inning as a starter, there's not really a break. You can't really step off, walk around the mound, get out of your thoughts or kind of take a breath or two. You kind of have to keep going. And that's, he's concerned that you know, two or three of those happen in a row in a game that you're going to be dealing with a you know, starter who's maybe only at 70 pitches, but he's really gassed from what he's kind of gone through. So that's something a little worried about. Kopech said he got a little tired at the end of his start, but it was also a spring debut. So it was kind of built to pitch to the point where he got tired because they're still kind of stretching him out. I don't think it's going to be something where the Sox pile up violations, but it's something to watch, I think, just across the league about how it affects fatigue and starter pace. And um, But, you know, last year in AAA, I don't think we really saw, like, this huge, you know, change in uh, velocity or, uh, you know, ERA or any kind of real effects um, in the macro um, to really be worried about here. There might be individual cases, but, you know, hard to predict that right now. James Vegan of The Athletic joining us here on Socks in the Basement. He is brought to you like every guest here on Socks in the Basement by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore, and see all they have going on this weekend and beyond at lamontdowntown.com. So I can tell by one of your more recent articles, you have no idea who's filling the bench on the White Sox. I have no idea either. 
Uh, is Sheets going? Burger going? Hanser Alberto has been a darling at times. Larry Garcia's got $11 million still attached to him. We pretty much expect Zevi Zavala to be the backup catcher. Is this the biggest thing that you guys are trying to figure out, all the beat writers down at camp right now? Is this the focus, trying to figure out who's going to be on that bench? Um, mostly because my job like forces me to write those type of things. I don't. I, don't, <laughs> I think opening day roster is uh, a very overrated. Like it's symbolically meaningful for the players to be on it. Whether or not Shake Burger makes the opening day roster, I don't think that stops him from maybe getting two hundred plate appearances over the course of the season, or maybe something more than that. Uh, if he really bashes, um, I think that you Romeo Gonzalez is critical depth. Even if I think at this point it seems a little. Like everyone he's competing with, uh, he is in a situation whether it's, you know, Hans Alberto being having enough service time where he gets a, kind of an automatic opt out if he doesn't make the team, or Larry Garcia being under contract. So they have to put him on release waivers um, if they, you know, try to send him down to the minors, whereas Romy can be freely optioned. Uh, yeah, I think those things are big impacts. I think that's the big thing. I'd be kind of low key amazed, which is why I wrote what I did. If they ate $11 million and just viewed Larry as a sunk cost, I would get it, the decision behind it. But um, if he's healthy, obviously they made a big commitment to him. So I think they would try to, you know, get something out of him. And that's what I think will probably be the overriding factor in that race. Um, I would say like, I'm very confident that Kevin Chiefs will be on the roster. The way they talk to him is about someone that they want to get regular plate appearances kind of from the get go. It's, it's a bit more like, yeah, Burger's intriguing. Yeah, he's helped us against lefties. Um, for Sheets, it's like a degree more solid that I, I would I would I would pen that in more than pencil. I was trying to figure out whether or not you were telegraphing something in your recent article when you pointed out that uh, Pedro was he wants guys that are elite at something, and he was like, and Billy Hamilton's elite at speed and 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 defense, and that that was something that he brought up, and you you put that in the article. It seemed like a telling comment, right? Yeah. It seemed, seemed like you were telling me Hamilton's coming, but then you also, like he talked about what, what Hanser Alberto was a lead at. And I was like, Oh, then he's taking Hanser. And then I read later on, you were like, yeah, but he's taking, he's taking Larry. I could have, uh, you know, read a quote that he said where he just kind of defended or, or you know, talked up to Larry the whole time. Like I don't, he's not you know, like slagging one guy and talk, only talking up other guys and kind of showing his hand in some major way like that. Um, it's just that, you know, if he talks about specialists, Larry isn't so much a specialist, you know, the, the value of Larry is that you can just put him anywhere. and It, it kind of shrinks the number of bench guys you need because you have this guy you can pull back up both uh, the middle of the outfield and the middle of the infield. It's, it's not that he's particularly good at this one thing. It's more just like he's, you know, the, you know duct tape. You just slap it on anything type of situation. That's the best description I've ever heard of Larry Garcia ever. Duct tape. Yeah, and, and sometimes duct tape comes as a godsend, and sometimes you see something that's just held together with duct tape, and you're like, well, this is this really your plan. Right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that does seem to work. Um, so with him saying specialist, I felt that leaned him away from Larry a little bit, but, you know, it, it, it's still, it's not just, it's an organizational call, not just, you know, one little leaning of the manager that decides about whether what you do was a million dollars remaining committed to a player. James Fegan covers the White Sox beat for The Athletic. Subscribe. I do. It's great. James, thanks so much for jumping on Sox in the Basement. My pleasure. Sox in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. 
And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boots specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. So the World Baseball Classic has been uh, reduced in the number of teams that have gone on. So lots of teams going home. That tends to, that tends to happen when you're playing in pool play and then getting into quarterfinals. Well, I yeah. know, but I'm just trying to catch everybody up, okay? So uh, okay. Aloya Menez is coming home. Yes. Dominican Republic. He, he, they're done. Two and two in pool play. They lose out to Puerto Rico and Venezuela. He's on his way back. And not a moment too soon after I watched Edwin Diaz get his patellar tendon torn celebrating at the end of a game. The jumping up and down, celebrating at the end of the game, that's where he tears his tendon. And, and, you know, for anybody sitting there saying, and I know Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, like, did something where, like, oh, that could have happened, like, on a on the B field. We could have been just screwing around. I don't think so. Watch the video. He's he's excited at the end of the game, and some guy who's probably not even a major league player, I don't know, but some guy comes running in and grabs him and starts throwing him up and down to start. The idea to jump up and down in the pile and for him to have people hanging on him while he's doing I, I it. I think that was actually his brother. Okay, well, his brother may have been that. the person that started it. Okay. Yeah. And so don't tell me. Like, you're not, you're not doing that. And I think you're, if you're not in the intense situation, you're not thinking about doing that in spring training. That said, it's a freak injury. It's not the reason why I don't want my players playing in the WBC. In fact, I've talked about how I wanted Yuan Moncada in the WBC. We had somebody reach out, though, through Socks in the Basement. You can leave a voicemail. Uh, you can send us a message through the contact form who wrote an email and was a little annoyed with us, Ed, and I want to share it. What did we do? GW said, hello, gentlemen, some advice. Lay off the World Baseball Classic. It's good for baseball, and Sox players playing in it are getting much more out of the tournament than they would another ho-hum week in spring training. Okay, I disagree with that. And the reason I disagree with that, I point out in the last show, not all of them are getting a better experience because as much as I enjoy Tim Anderson there, and I know Pedro was like, hey, good for him. He's playing second base. Pedro wishes he had him in, in camp to work on the transition between short and second with a guy who's never played second base before in Elvis Andros. And this is a new team that's going to be playing the majority of the games together. So trust me, Pedro wishes that he was able to concentrate just on the White Sox this year. WBC games are meaningful and energetic. I don't know about meaningful. Our guys are still getting their reps in and could just as easily get injured in a spring training game. They could. They could. Eloy Jimenez hurt himself. I get that. Okay. Do you mean to tell me the time Tim Anderson has been spending with the best and brightest in Major League Baseball is worth less than another week of drills and meaningless spring training games? I think I explained why I want Tim out. But then he goes on to kind of tell me that he's upset about me not wanting Yohan Mangata 
And I do want him in there. We talked about that. He's playing great right. in the WBC. He's getting his head cleared in the WBC. It's beneficial for some, but not beneficial for all. I was concerned about the pitchers, and I will admit this right away. I don't need to go through the rest of this. He was very upset with us. And and, and I appreciate him listening. I just I disagree with him. But also I'm not I'm not entirely sure that that he understands the point we were making where, like you said, Yoan Moncada, it's a good thing for him to be with his countrymen. It's a good thing for him to be playing in meaningful games and getting his head right because right. Yohan Moncada needs his head cleared. Tim Anderson needs to be working with Elvis Andrews. Right. Luis Robert needs to be working on his launch angle instead of the the coach of Cuba trying to just get the most out of him to win the WBC because we've talked about how it's down and he's still putting the ball basically on the ground while he's there. And I'm sure the White Sox and, and the, the hitting coaches and, and Pedro and everybody else would love to get him back to work on that problem because it still seems to be rearing its ugly head. And when you're early in the season this year and he's still working on it, remember, he didn't have the staff that knew what his problem was working with him during the WBC. He had a staff working with him that just wanted to win baseball games. And that's that's the difference. It's good for some and not for all. I mean, Lance Lynn, I, I was worried about him going and pitching out there. And, and I still am the strain on it because he's the kind of competitor if the U.S. gets into a big game He's going to be sitting there. He's going all out. He's going with everything he's got. He is, and he's going to be arguing with DeRosa, trying to tell him, like, I can go back out there. Now, the only good news is that the Major League Baseball teams have put so many restrictions on the pitchers that even Mark DeRosa, who's managing that USA team, is saying, I can't use them. I have no wiggle room. I have a limit, and once they hit the limit, it's over. It's an innings or pitch limit or use limit or how many days I can use them, how many days I have to rest them. It is so strict. There are times where I got to send a guy out there that I don't even want to send out there in a situation because I can't use the guy I want to. Okay, so with that in place. All right, fine. You, you can you can win the argument on it would be the same way in spring training. But on the other hand, in spring training, in the fourth inning or fifth inning, there isn't a huge crowd yelling, and you're not reaching back for something extra when you've only really been ramped up over the last month. And that's that's where I have concern from it. Okay, overall, I, I'm fine with I'm fine with the World Baseball Classic. I've enjoyed some of the games that I've watched. I'm, I would say I, I like the games I've watched. I mean. You know, some of the so a couple of the slaughter ones were a little bit of a snooze fest after a while. Just oh, like, yeah, okay, the idea that hit. they said there was a perfect game and it only went eight innings because of a slaughter. Give me I, a break. Yeah, that's not a real perfect game. I mean, we we the, we do things now when we're reporting on baseball to try to say that something was special. And was it really as special as the guy that went out and got a real perfect game? Is that perfect game as exciting as a perfect game in the World Series? No, it's not. Is it, is it as exciting as a perfect game in May? I'm not really sure because a perfect game in in May is a real perfect game where the guy goes nine and it's one guy yeah, that's out there. I, I, this was more of a novelty. Right, exactly. Like, oh, hey, I guess it's a perfect game. I, that's the way I took it. It was like, oh, yeah, sure, you call that a perfect game. Why not? I'm enjoying it. I, I, I don't have anything against the WBC. I really don't. But I'm a selfish baseball fan. In fact, I'm a selfish White Sox fan. I am. I, I look at the White Sox like how I look at my kids. My kid goes and plays hockey on the JV team right now for Brother Rice. And we'll be watching a game. And he'll say, did you see such and such or whatever? I'm like, no, I really didn't. He's like, why? I'm like, because I only watch you. He's like, what do you mean you only watch me? I'm like, I really only care about you. Like, I went to that school. I didn't play hockey for him. I root for the team overall. But deep down in the end, the majority of my time when I'm sitting there watching the game is I'm watching you, big guy, because you're the reason I'm sitting here on a Sunday when I could be at home watching the Bears. Like, that's, that's how I feel. Like, I wouldn't come out and watch your team if you weren't playing. That's insane. And the same thing goes for like baseball. Like I like baseball from time to time. You'll find me 
finding a game on TV that the Sox are not involved in. Like I become like a secondary Dodger fan over the years because I used to work weird hours and I'd come home and they were the only game on late night because you'd be able to get them on MLB network and I'd be able to watch them. Sure. Fine. Great. And I I appreciate stars and all-star games and things like that. But deep down in the end, I'm really watching for my team and I want the best for my team. And if you believe this team has a chance to make the playoffs and, and maybe do something special, at least have a puncher's chance. If you're holding on that kind of hope for this season as a White Sox fan, I feel like they should always be your priority is the Sox. It's not me bagging on the WBC to put my priority on the White Sox and the WBC second. Well, and especially this year, right? Page, we got a whole new coaching staff. Yeah, right. This is this is when Pedro gets to know these players and gets to know some of these guys. I don't, I don't want to say that it's not possible for him to understand who Lance Lynn is just based on his experience in Major League Baseball as a member of the Royals coaching staff. But knowing Lance Lynn's personality, knowing what to look for, watching him closely. And he is watching the games. He's made that clear. He is watching his players and keeping an eye on what's going on. That's why he can comment on Tim Anderson's play at second base, or he can comment on, hey, Lance Lynn did really well. You know, I saw that start. He looked really sharp. That's great. But there's a little bit of a difference between also getting to experience Lance Lynn in between innings and getting to sit down and talk to him about something and sitting there going, okay, how you feeling, big guy? Or, you know, hey, I, I, this is, I'm seeing this. Why are you doing that? And getting to understand his players. And, and to the point about Tim Anderson and Elvis Andrews, things like that, yeah, getting to sit there and say, get to working on this, this part of it, guys. Or here, I am going to drill you on this so you guys are familiar with it. There's a certain amount of talent that will overcome that. And I think Tim Anderson and Elvis Andrews have that talent. I think Lance Lynn will be fine because he's a veteran and understands how to take care of himself. I think Yohan Moncada definitely is benefiting being away from the team. I would like to see Luis Robert working with his hitting coaches on the White Sox because that's where the work needs to be put in, not with the all-star coaching staff of the Cuba team. I mean, Mark DeRosa is not a major league manager. It's probably fun in the locker room. I mean, it, it, it's... Well, it's like Yadier Molina. <laughs> you know, is, is, what's he going to do now as the manager of, of Puerto Rico, right? He's, he's Now he's got a manager. He's got a legitimate problem on his hands, doesn't he? Because he's got a manager on the fact that his star closer... Also, one of the most important players for the New York Mets is injured and out for the season oh, on his watch. David Bednar of the Pittsburgh Pirates, you are a Met. Like, I, right away, I was like, who are they going to go and get to be there? They spent so much money, Ed. They spent so much money. And now they can't even play the trumpet when he comes walking in. Like, this is a disaster. Oh, that's the part that's going to kill the Mets, this isn't it? This is a disaster no for trumpet. Them. There's no trumpet and there's no closer. Maybe if they trade for ba- David Bednar, they can recreate that song with kazoos. <laughs> Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.